Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Powder Keg, season two, episode 15, first aired February 9th, 1986. The IMDb summary reads, The justice system is tested when a group of angry rednecks form a lynch party and plan to hang a murder suspect. So yeah, uh, what? <laughs> I've seen this episode before, but yeah, with that description, I was not excited to watch it again for obvious triggering reasons, <laughs> but let's get into it. So we have two returners. One is Jeff Osterhag or Osterhag, and we will remember him. Well, we won't remember him because I did not watch this <laughs> episode again he was art merrick from funeral at 50 mile which i think is funny that he is playing a character in another episode that i'm not thrilled to watch for different reasons however in this episode he plays ed bonner the next returner is Stuart whitman And we will remember him as Charles Woodley in Hit, Run, and Homicide, one of my faves. Not my favorite character, no, but one of my favorite episodes. And in this episode, he is Mr. Bonner. So let's get into the rest of the characters. We have Frank Kelso, Cassie Latham Burns, Matthew Burns, Linda Bonner, Of course, Ed Bonner and Mr. Bonner. Billy Willits, Sheriff Claudel Cox, Peter Fargo, Charlie Dempsey, Professor Ames Caulfield, Andy Crane, and Deputy Morgan. Okay, let's get into the episode. So we start out with two kids kicking a can down the highway, uh, more like a desert, dusty road, but okay. And we have Jess and Ames in the car. Ames is driving. I'm going to call him Professor because that's just what I'm going to do. Okay. And they are coming from a seminar and the professor is like, yeah, so your seminars were packed. Mine really weren't. (laughs) Just a a tad bit of jealousy. Could you feel it in the air? Because I could. And... Suddenly, his car breaks down. Now, I'm guessing it's a classic of some sort, but he is ill-equipped to figure out what's wrong with it. He just drives it. But unlike a lot of people who appreciate classic cars, a lot of them tend to also work on them or rebuild them. But yeah, so... (laughs) I'm concerned that you had enough faith in this vehicle that you thought it was going to drive you to Alabama. Now, I don't know where Professor Caulfield is from. Clearly, Jessica's from Maine. I don't know where he drove that car from, but he had too much faith in it, apparently. So it breaks down. And their luck would have it that the sheriff was actually going down that highway and stops to give them assistance. And so the sheriff's like, I don't know anything about this car for sure, but there is a tow company um, back in town in, I think he said Hooksville. So the sheriff radios back to the station for a tow truck to come and get them. Now, I will mention that the sheriff is black. And we'll get back to that later. The next scene, we're at the repair shop. And they figure out that it's the fuel pump. And so they can send it out to Birmingham for repair. And they should be able to get it returned, repaired the next day. Or a new one the next day. So now Professor Caulfield and Jessica are there for the night. And so they direct them to a hotel in the area. They end up at the Imperial Hotel. 
Now, I see a license plate that says Alabama. That's the only reason I know that it's Alabama. (laughs) Because in some of these episodes, you don't know what state you're in. Sometimes you don't even know what town you're in. So they've given us some context clues here. So they're in Alabama. Birmingham is not only in Alabama, so (laughs) I didn't want to jump to conclusions. They did say redneck, so I should have known it was in the South, but... Yeah, there's that. Anyway, so the owner of the hotel is Cassie. And we find out that she is a former student of Professor Caulfield from 20 years ago. And we find out that she had been married, but her husband died a number of years ago. Now, anybody with eyes, especially Jessica, as observant as she is, notices that there is some familiarity between the two that is more than seeing a professor that you had 20 years ago. Because I'm thinking, well, it would be high school. (laughs) I don't have, I wasn't in college. Well, technically I was in college 20 years ago. If I bumped into a favorite professor of mine from college 20 years later, one, I don't know if I'd recognize them off the bat, to be absolutely honest. Um, If I did, high school for sure. My high school teachers, any of them from first grade all the way up to 12th grade year. I, if I saw them in the street, I would remember them. I would recognize them for sure. But college, there were so many professors. You only had them for a semester There was so much changeover that I don't know if I would have 20 years later and, you know, 20 years of life for me and 20 years of life for them. I don't know if I'd recognize them. So that's also why this instant recognition was interesting. Spoiler, they had a relationship when they were professor and student, which would make sense why they recognize each other. Because if you were in a sexual relationship with someone, I would hope that you would recognize them even with 20 years of life on them, okay? (laughs) Anyway, so while they're talking, Matt, Cassie's son, comes in and we find out that he actually reads Professor Caulfield's books, which is amazing to everybody in this situation, (laughs) okay? And even more reason for us to believe that they had a relationship when she was in college and he was her professor. But I was not the only person who was trying to find out how old Matt was and start calculating, okay? But anyway, (laughs) so we find out that Matt is a performer. He is in a band and he will be performing at Kelso's that evening. The next scene, we go up to Jessica's room, and it is beautiful, okay? This small town has this hotel with gigantic rooms. I am confused, okay? (laughs) It doesn't look like it's close to anywhere. I'm assuming that it's close enough to Birmingham that maybe they have the spillover of tourists, I don't know if Birmingham is a huge tourist spot in 1986. I really don't. But I'm confused how she is still in business in this small town with this luxury hotel. I Okay, this is what we're going with. That's what we're going with. So the next scene, we're at Kelso's. And this is a real redneck bar. Okay, it really is. It has a Confederate flag on the back. Okay, everybody looks like they went to central casting and they were like, I need rednecks. And everyone who kind of sort of looked like that, they hired them because it wasn't a a straight-laced professional in that bar at all, okay? Now, Professor Caulfield comes in and he's there alone. So he does not bring Jessica. And we meet Linda, who's a waitress and she clearly is interested in Matt and he is clearly also interested in her. Now, okay. All right. 
listen, I understand that this is a redneck bar, right? But that does not mean that they should have trash entertainment. Matt is terrible. He is terrible. Like, he, he's clearly not playing the guitar. And we'll see that in a moment, up close and personal, that he's not playing the guitar. But he sounds horrible, okay? And I don't know how he's getting paid actual money, okay? Actual money to perform. He should have to pay the bar for him to actually perform because this is terrible, okay? And I, I, I am so confused. Why wouldn't they find somebody who could actually sing, for one? Two, why wouldn't they just dub that voice over Matt's character voice, right? Because this is painful. It's actually painful, okay? So maybe it's a ploy. You have terrible talent there, terrible entertainment. So people will drink more and that's how you make your money. But if they drink more, they're going to start to fight and then they'll destroy your property. This was not a good business plan, Kelso. Really, it wasn't. So we then see Ed, okay? Ed Bonner, who is Linda Bonner's brother, okay? And he is driving super reckless in this souped-up car, and that's where I see the Alabama license plate. He's clearly drunk, so he's drunk driving, so he's clearly drunk already, Him and his two friends are thugs. That's what they are. They are thugs. They come in. Everybody in the bar is afraid of them because they cause a problem. They basically harass this man who's sitting at a table who's like, oh, okay, we're getting up, we're getting up. And his wife is like, I'm not ready to go. And he basically like snatches his wife up or girlfriend, whoever, snatches her up and is like, this is their table because they are a menace to the entire town. You know, so disgusting. Anyway, so Linda's brother doesn't like that she likes Matt. I have no idea what his problem with Matt is. He needs to be concerned about the trash person that he is and the two trash people that he hangs out with. How about you be concerned about that? But he starts up with Matt. He goes up to the stage and is talking to him as he's trying to sing and play. And you can see that his right hand, which is pretending to strum the guitar, is a good three inches away from the actual strings of the guitar. He's clearly not playing. And they should have just had him at least have his hand strumming that guitar. Anyway, so he's, Matt is trying to avoid eye contact. He's trying to continue singing. And then he says something that sets Matt off. So Ed finally gets the response he wants. He starts to fight Matt is outmatched. And not only that, not only does he get like thrown into a corner, but there's enough time that he's on the ground that Ed has the opportunity to pick up a pitcher of beer and pour it on his head. At this point, Linda comes out the back and she's like, what's going on? Because of course, no one's going to intervene because Ed is a menace to society. And Linda comes out, she literally jumps on Ed's back and is like hitting him, telling him to get out of there. She jumps off. He's not going to attack her. He's not going to assault his sister, thankfully, okay, because anything could happen with this hot garbage of a person. So he finally, Ed finally leaves, speeding off in his car, still drunk, Matt finally gets his life together, gets up, runs out. Linda's right behind him. He hops in his van while he's threatening to kill Ed if he ever does that again and speeds off. Linda is there just distraught 
And Professor Caulfield has now come outside and has observed Matt make the threat into thin air, honestly, because Ed was already gone, and drive off. Now, I'm just going to say, I am just going to say that when Matt snapped, he should not have taken off his guitar and put it to the side. Honestly and truly, this is, Ed is clearly a violent person who has height and weight on you, okay? It's not a lot of weight, but it's enough. And he clearly is a fighter, right? He clearly is a fighter. He gets into bar fights. It looks like tussles and wrestles with people, right? You should have taken your guitar off and beat the heck out of Ed. I'm sorry. You should have smacked him in the head one good time with that guitar and walked out because wasn't nobody arresting you. Trust and believe, okay? Everybody would have applauded you and Ed would have just been put in his place finally, okay? But then we couldn't go on with the episode, but that would have been the better approach. I understand that you're peaceful, but if you were going to get in a fight with this man, you either needed to pick up a pitcher of beer and bust him in the face with it or hit him with the guitar. Now... I'm not a proponent of violence, but if you're going to fight this person who clearly outweighs you and clearly has more experience in fighting people than you do, you have to do what you have to do because either you were going to continue to ignore him and finish your set and go on about your life, making him look stupid, or you were going to really put up a fight. So I don't like the option you chose because it was clearly the wrong one. So the next scene, we see the police looking around some front yard and they find Ed and he is dead. Okay, Ed is dead. So the next scene, we are at the Imperial Hotel again and Professor Caulfield is speaking with Casey and it's clearly, or Cassie, Cassie, and it's very intimate right? Their conversation, their body language. As Jessica comes down, we find out that Matt was arrested for the murder of Ed Bonner. The next scene, we are at the sheriff's office and Mr. Bonner is there. So Ed's father, well, Ed and Linda's father is there. And he's telling the sheriff that he better file charges against Matt. And that this is, he has all the proof that he needs, that it was Matt. He was embarrassed in public and this is how he responded. You know, I want justice for my boy. Listen, okay? Listen. Your son is a straight up thug, right? But now, now, now you want the law to help him and get him justice when he has been a terror to each and every one of your neighbors? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Actually, he's not kidding me. He is serious, delusionally serious, that he has conveniently forgotten how terrible his son is and how much a problem he has been since his mother died. But you are here with all of the nerve God gave you saying that you want justice for your son. Okay. Okay. The next scene, we are still in the sheriff's office and Jessica and Professor Caulfield come in. And Professor Caulfield's trying to get information and help out, whatever. And he mentions that they had dinner with the governor right? Jessica does not say this. She's observing and she's trying to figure out what the appropriate approach is to this sheriff, right? Because each law enforcement officer is different. Each town is different. You have to deal with people differently. Sometimes you got to pull the name card. Sometimes you have to pull the, oh, I'm just a small town lady. Sometimes you have to pull, I'm the world-renowned author. Sometimes you have to pull, I'm an English teacher, retired, you know, whatever. She usually can read a situation correctly. 
Professor Caulfield obviously cannot. (laughs) The sheriff responds with, well, I guess you'll have to have the governor get you a key to that cell. He is not moved by the dropping of the name or the, the connection to the governor that these people have. And this is what I mean when I say that Professor Caulfield cannot read a situation. And maybe it's not necessarily his fault in the sense that this is a Black man who was elected sheriff in the Deep South, right, in a town full of white people. Now, I have only seen one Black person and one racially ambiguous person, and that was the two kids kicking the can. Now, as you see, as we get further in this episode, I did not see a single Black person. Now, that could be for two reasons, right? One, they were not trying to be out in the street in a mob situation on either side of this. On either side of this, they were not trying to get involved because you know what? It could have turned around on them. They were not taking that chance. Or two, they don't exist, okay? (laughs) Black people don't exist in this town, except for the sheriff. So I have no idea where he came from. But he has had to do whatever he had to do, right, to gain the trust of enough people that he was elected to sheriff of this town. And you think that you're going to come in here with your broke down classic car and drop the name of the governor? Do you know he had to fight every day of his life? Do you know that racism is just really bubbling under the surface every single day of this man's life in this town and you think you come in here with your fancy suits and your academia and that you're going to say, oh, I had dinner with the governor, that that's going to scare him? Because it's not. And it didn't. He don't care. Let the governor come down here. Okay, great. Maybe he can help me out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So Professor Caulfield did not read the situation right. Jessica did a tiny bit better in taking a step back and not necessarily feeding into, oh, we know the governor. So we get some information from the sheriff who is already has his backup. He had his backup when they walked in because you're outsiders. So why are you asking about these people? How do you know these people? How are you connected to them? And then you're going to offend me. And my position as the sheriff, if I tell you no, then it's no. But you think that you can use who you know to make me do something, you're wrong. And now it's going to be even more difficult for you because I am now offended, as he should be. Okay? Now, (laughs) we find out that the fight between Matt and Ed what well actually wasn't even a fight when ed beat up matt it was 11 p.m at 2 15 a.m there was a scream heard by a priest who was sleeping in the rectory across the street from ed bonner's house and so he called the police he told them where he heard the scream from and they went to check and they found ed stabbed to death in his front yard there were multiple stab wounds in his chest. At 4.30 a.m., Matt was found in his kitchen across town, fully dressed in his kitchen. Now, they then searched his property and found a bloody knife and gloves freshly buried in the back garden. Now, Jessica's looking at a map of the town and she sees that there is... a a waterway in between and that the distance between Ed's home and Matt's home is away. And so she said, why not toss the knife in the river? And the sheriff said he had the same thought and that's why he's not charging Matt yet. The second reason was that there was not nearly enough blood on the lawn for him to have been stabbed to that degree in that spot. So the body had to be moved. 
And the sheriff refuses, however, to let Matt go, although he's not being arrested. He's just being detained because he's safer in jail. We find out that the reason he's safer in jail, although Ed was a thug and a trash person, his father, Mr. Bonner, is well-loved in this community. And so people are willing to do and get and ensure Mr. Bonner is happy and has justice. So that means even without proof beyond a reasonable doubt, there is enough quote-unquote facts and circumstances that people would be willing to murder Matt to stay in the favor of Mr. Bonner. And the funny thing is, Mr. Bonner is not a thug. He's a farmer. He's a farmer. He has just been there the longest. I guess he's really helped people out, maybe financially, maybe getting jobs. Whatever the reason is that he's well-loved by the citizens of this town, it's not because he used an iron fist. It's not because he threatened people. It's not because he was a thug. He's not a drug dealer. He, he's not a politician. None of those things, right? He's a regular farmer living his life right outside this town. And just simply is well-loved by the residents. And they're willing to kill someone to ensure Mr. Bonner has vengeance for the murder of his son. So the next scene, there's an interaction with Frank Kelso and a few of the townspeople. He says his wife, Frank this is, Kelso, we'll call him Kelso, says that his wife is visiting her family, her mother, in Shreveport, Louisiana. And Charlie says that Jolene, his wife, is tending to someone's needs, but it ain't her mother. And so Kelso is kind of the town laughing stock, right? Because the theory is that his wife ran off with a barber or something. I think we find out later. But allegedly her his wife, the hardware store salesman, I think that's what it, I think that's who it was that she allegedly ran off with this man months ago, leaving Kelso with this story that she was taking care of her mother in Shreveport, Louisiana. So everyone is laughing behind his back, but he has the last laugh. Let's be honest. Everybody's up in his bar drinking beer and eating wings and listening to Matt Warble on the stage. Oh my goodness, Matt is terrible. Oh, he's terrible. So he's getting all this money. His bar is full every night, every night. So my thing is you can laugh all you want to, but as long as your money is green, I do not care. Laugh all you want because I am well paid. So the next scene, we're back at the hotel and we find out that Cassie has left word for Professor Caulfield to come to her house. And so the clerk is like, oh, do you need directions? And he said, no, I don't need directions. Sir, you're clearly having an affair with Cassie. If not, definitely in the past, if not currently. Okay, you know where she stays at. You know where her house is. You don't need directions. Okay, sir, as they would say, your slip is hanging. We know that y'all are together, or at least were and are reconnecting now. So the next scene, we're on the street, and it's a mob is starting to form, right? The citizens are getting a bit antsy. And Kelso comes up in his truck, and he's brought liquor, And he is trying to speak with Andy, who is drinking alone, right? And looks distraught because Ed was his best friend. As trash of a person he was, they were good to each other, I guess. And Kelso's like, it's going to be okay or whatever. So Andy, who is pissed turns around and says to Kelso that Ed was sleeping with Jolene, 
before she left town. And Billy just piles on and says that Ed said that Jolene left with the hardware store guy, right? And that she's not in Shreveport with her mama. And that's why, you know, he's out here lying. But everybody knows the truth that she left him for another man. And not only did she leave him for another man, but that she was sleeping with Ed before she even left town with a third guy, right? So Kelso tries to fight, I guess. And of course, he is overpowered by Andy, who tells him to just get out of there, which he does. So the next scene, we're at the sheriff's office, and Jessica walks in to find the town doctor and the sheriff talking. So the sheriff is kind of trying to rush the doctor out, right? Because he does not want to give Jessica details of the murder, right? But the doctor knows who Jessica is. He's like, I haven't read any of your books, but my wife reads all of your books. She always has one next to her in bed. So he is a fan. In I'm sure his wife has talked his ear off about forensics and all of that stuff in her book. He was like, okay, okay. Maybe she even has a Dr. Seth character, so maybe he can get with that, you know. And the doctor is more than happy to reveal all of the details that Jessica wants without having to ask for it. So the doctor confirms that the victim's body was moved. And so Jessica surmises that the killer is the one who let out the scream to obscure the time and place of the murder. The doctor then follows up with the stab wounds were post-mortem. Why would you stab a dead body? And not only that, it was at least one hour post-mortem. So at least one hour after Ed had died. So I know what that's about. Do you know what that's about? We'll get into that shortly because Jessica knows what that's about. Now, I don't think she knows who it is, but she knows why those stab wounds occurred, why there were so many, and why it happened after death, because they were not, in fact, the cause of death. So Jessica asked the sheriff if she can see Ed's property. And so he's like, okay, we, fine, fine. I guess you're okay. (laughs) Now I'll say this. He was always respectful of Jessica, but skeptical. And again, he has to prove himself every day in this town. So I'm sure he's tired and it's like, I listen, don't come up in here trying to run my investigation. But I think he senses that, well, I guess also based on the doctor's reaction to her, that it's okay that she's not trying to outshine him. You know what I mean? Not a pride thing, but she's not trying to give the town a reason to no longer have him as sheriff. She's not trying to usurp. So in the property, we find two lighters and one of which has the Cameron crest on it. And of course, Jessica recognizes that it's a family crest and the family it belongs to because of all of her research. And I think that that impresses the sheriff, legitimately impresses him. And he's like, but no one in town has the last name Cameron But this is a good lead nonetheless. So the next scene, Jessica is on the street in town and Linda comes speeding up in a pickup truck and hops out. And she says that she's going to get her father to help stop the mob that is gathering. And she admits in the ride over to the farm that Ed and her father had issues and that Ed came up with this money from some unknown source and that her father has no use for a black sheriff, meaning that her father is racist, okay? Um, But not 
completely racist. <laughs> okay, let me explain. Let me explain. Um, none of which is acceptable. No form of racism is acceptable. Period. No laughs. Not a laughing matter. Period. But I guess what she's saying is that he's a touch racist. Like, he is not going to run the sheriff out of town. But he may not have as much respect for him and belief that he is going to be able to do the job as well as a white person. So I think that's what she means. That it's not necessarily that he hates Black people, but that he has an issue with believing that this Black person is qualified for the job. He would be incorrect. He would be very incorrect about the sheriff's ability to handle the law enforcement needs of the town. He's been doing well so far, and we'll see how he handles this situation and how he actually handled it very well. So the next scene, we are at the Bonner farm. We learn that Mr. Bonner has tried everything to save Ed and that he he tried to be hard on him. He tried to be soft on him. He tried to give him everything. He tried to give him nothing. And nothing seemed to work. He was just a bad seed. He just was a terror, right? And about five months ago, he left without a dime. And Mr. Bonner assumed that he would be crawling back soon enough, but he didn't. All of a sudden, he had this money. He rented a house. He got a fancy car. And both Mr. Bonner and Linda believed that he was selling drugs. And so maybe Linda didn't believe that, but Mr. Bonner is like, that's the only thing that makes sense is that he was selling drugs. And I'm like, what drugs was he selling in that small town? But anyway, really, honestly, not an issue. But Jessica wasn't necessarily convinced that he was selling drugs. Now, the next scene, we are in the street and Professor Caulfield has an interaction with Andy. And Andy is like puffing up his chest like he's about to fight. And Cassie's like, let's go. Let's just go to Professor Caulfield. Now, I know that Professor Caulfield is twice Andy's age. Probably not the actual actors, but I mean like for the purpose of the story, right? Is twice Andy's age. But I promise you that that man, Professor Caulfield was about to wear Andy out. When I tell you he was about to give Andy the beating that he needed when he was seven years old acting out of pocket, he was about to get that. He was about to get a beating for every year. (laughs) He should have been disciplined. And every year that he was a terror to his mama, a terror to everybody in town, uh, a buddy with Ed, he was about to make up for lost time. I promise you that professor was about to beat the ever-living daylight out of Andy. Okay, don't sleep on Professor Caulfield now. Don't sleep on him because he old and he wear a suit. I promise you that he would have worn Andy out. Okay, out. Andy would have just been ashamed and beat up. And he would have had to lie. He would have had to say that, um, that somebody from uh, Birmingham came down and and beat him up, right? (laughs) There was four guys. There was four guys from Birmingham that came and beat him up just for no good reason. You know, uh, whatever. He owed them money, whatever. He was going to have to come up with a good lie, like a good, good lie, because I promise you that old man was about to tear him up. But Cassie didn't know that. She didn't read that situation right. She, She didn't. Um... So she actually saved Andy's life and he should be grateful to her. He really should because she wasn't saving Professor Caulfield. 
All right, because I promise you the sheriff wouldn't have arrested him, would not have even thought twice about it, would have been like, listen, if you go to the town council, I'm sure that they can get your suit cleaned for you for free. You know, we can comp your room for two nights. I'm sure the town would be very grateful for him to have given Andy the discipline that he needed as a child. And perhaps he would not be such a terrible adult at this point. But that's just me. Okay, I I am just speculating that that's how this would have gone had Cassie not stepped in. Because we must remember, well, actually, no, we must not remember. I will, (laughs) that I assume that Matt is Professor Caulfield's son, okay? I'm sure Jessica has already come to that conclusion. I already came to that conclusion, So what Cassie does not realize is that Professor Caulfield is trying to protect his son, right? And in doing that, he would have, he would be fighting this Andy person with all of the pent up regret that he has in not have been not being able to be part of Matt's life for whatever reason for whatever reason I don't know if we find out why she had the baby and then disappeared and and he went on with his life but he is here now and whatever fatherly instinct has popped up after seeing his son was going to give him the strength of the Hulk okay But Cassie didn't know that. Cassie didn't know that. And although I'm sure she's a mama bear, she wasn't about to fight no grown man, which I do not blame her. Girl, listen, I ain't gonna fight like that. (laughs) He's not the one. Andy's not the one you need to fight to get your son out of jail. So this wasn't her fight either. So I understand where both of them were coming from. So the next scene, we are in the sheriff's office and we find out that there was a man seen running from the Bonner house after the scream. Now, unfortunately, the witness has poor eyesight and a vivid imagination. (laughs) I think she saw aliens. uh, She saw FBI agents. She saw everything. Everything, everything. (laughs) Real and not real. So they had to take this report with a grain of salt. And... Jessica brings up the fact that Ed had a lot of money and the sheriff is like, yes, I did think that he was selling drugs, but as many times as we checked him out, searched him, arrested him, we never found him with drugs. So I don't know where he was getting the money from, but there's no credible evidence that he was selling drugs. So, you know, now the question is, where was he getting this money enough to purchase that nice car enough to not have to work and to be able to rent a house so the next scene we're back at the hotel and we see professor caulfield and cassie having lunch i believe or dinner it's a meal and it's clearly very intimate the way they're sitting, their body language. This entire episode, their body language has indicated that they had a previously intimate relationship. And it's and the fire is still burning a little, let's let's be honest. And Jessica comes in and, and is talking to them and says that Professor Caulfield returned at 2.30 in the morning. What was that about? And he tried to deny it. She was like, no, 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 2.30. I know what I know. He admits that he was with Cassie and Jessica's like, yeah, so yeah, Matt's your son, right? And Cassie's like, no, his father is a war hero who died. And why would you say that? She didn't even have any real emotions. Like she wasn't even emotionally invested in this lie anymore. And she goes and she walks off and I'm like, all right, was that the actress? (laughs) Was that the actress doing a terrible job or was it written like that? Like you, you, we don't want you to be too emotional because we want it to come across that you're lying. Okay. And that you're not doing a very good job of it. Was that the direction 
Or was that just bad acting? That I, I don't know. But Professor Caulfield admits it. But he says that Matt doesn't know and he will never know because Cassie does not want him to know. And I will say this. I can understand at this point, like at this point, if they were not going to be together and her husband raised Matt as his own. Well, actually, no. No. She, okay. Stepping aside, let me try to figure this out because she's like, his father was a war hero, et cetera, et cetera. But we learned from Matt that he never met his birth father. So Cassie's husband was not Matt's quote-unquote birth father. He raised him as his stepson, or probably like his real son, but legally his stepson. So she had a whole lie. I'm like, she must have met her husband after her son had was at least a year or something like that, where she couldn't play it off that this, that, she got pregnant by her husband and we're just going to pretend and raise him as yours. So yeah, she had a whole lie ready, but I think at this point she knew Jessica had figured it out, but she could never admit that because the lie that she told her son had to remain alive. And I can understand that because if you did not want to tell your son that his father was a college professor that you had an affair with. Now, I don't know if it was an affair because I don't know if the professor was married at the time. I don't know how old he was when they had this relationship. I don't know why they couldn't be together. None of this is explained because I'm like, all right, well, we've had other situations like this in this series where in order to maintain their position at at that school they could not even after the person is no longer a student take up with a student because it's going to be tracked back and definitely she couldn't have the baby and then they end up together and the baby come out looking just like him he would probably be fired because I'm sure it was against the school policy so I could understand that but I'm like Dude, you probably could have gotten a job at another university and married her and had a family. But again, I don't know if he already had a family. He could have been married already. And he's like, I'm not leaving this situation. So I don't know what you're going to do with that baby. And if he did do that, you definitely shouldn't be reconnecting with him now at all. Because if he left you high and dry, then he's a terrible person. Or maybe you made the decision that you did not want to be with him and you were going to raise your child by yourself and and cut him off or didn't tell him that you were pregnant, which I don't think that's the issue here. I think he knew that she was pregnant and that Matt existed. But we do find out from Professor Caulfield that Billy pulled a knife on Kelso during that beating that Ed gave to Matt because I won't even call it a fight because it really was not because Matt was ill-prepared to fight. So the next scene we're on the street and there's a mob gathering. The tension is thick okay and so Jessica is in the sheriff's office and I'm like honestly well we'll get to that in a second. So the sheriff is like, half the men in this town own knives. So you telling me that Billy pulled a knife on Kelso and you don't know what type of knife it was really isn't dispositive. And so he tells her, go to the hotel and lock yourself in the room because this town is about to explode. And I can't be concerned about an out-of-towner when I'm trying to save the life, my life and the life of these town folks, including Matt. And so... My thing is this, Jessica should listen to the sheriff. You don't like his tone, but it's dangerous. And you don't seem to understand that. You just said the atmosphere of the town is frightening. Solving this murder is not a priority to the sheriff who is trying not to let his town explode and countless people be murdered in the attempt to get quote unquote justice by murdering Matt and, you know, to make Mr. Bonner feel better, right? So this is a time when 
Jessica's intrusion is very uh, frustrating because the fact is the sheriff is telling her the truth, the absolute truth. And she is in danger and she does not seem to grasp the level of danger that she's in. And I'm like, the sheriff had to talk to you crazy. And he was actually very polite about it because somebody else would have been like, look, lady, if you don't get your behind over to that hotel, I'm going to arrest you. Okay, I am going to arrest you and put you back into this cell. All right. And then since you want to be involved in this, then you can see what happens when they storm in here. Okay. And go and they pull Matt out of here and drag his body out there and literally lynch him in the street. Is that what you want to see? Is that what you want to see? You want a front row seat? Fine. That's what you want. That's what you'll get. He could have said that. He could have said that, but he didn't. He was nice about it. He was respectful, but stern and Jessica ignored it. She did. And that is really, I don't like that. This is a quality of Jessica's that I do not like. I don't like when she does this. She should have immediately went back to her hotel. But she doesn't. She goes over to Kelso's and she's snooping around. Okay, it's not even like she ran over there. She was looking for Kelso. But in the interim is looking around, right? And so Kelso pops out from nowhere because he was on alert, I guess. And he pulls a gun on her. Kelso then seeing that it's Jessica is like, what do you want? And Jessica asks about the knife that Billy pulled on him. He's like, I didn't see it. And Kelso then talks about, you know, he has his peacemaker. And Jessica's like, well, you referred to the gun as a peacemaker, which is the nickname for a Colt 45. But the one that you pulled on me was a Webley Folesbury semi-automatic revolver. And so he's like, oh, yeah, you know, but I got a 45 too. Right. So I happened to it. I don't know. Um, anyway, you know your guns. That's interesting. That's nice. That's cute. And then the phone rings. Kelso picks it up. He then says there's an exchange. He hangs up. He says there's trouble at the jail. And of course, Jessica goes with him because she has no concept of danger. Jessica, go to your hotel, honestly and truly. So now we're outside the sheriff's office and there's a mob demanding Matt Burns be brought out. And Andy is kind of at the head of this charge. Andy and Charlie, Charlie's an older man. Well, he's middle-aged. I don't want to say older man. He's middle-aged. Andy is clearly in his 20s. And he's the hot-headed-ist of them all. And so he is sparring with the sheriff like, um, you know, I just see a boy in a uniform. You're behind that badge and all of that, right? So like not straight up racial slurs, but slur-adjacent language. And at that point... The sheriff takes off his badge, takes off his weapons, and he is like, we could do this hand to hand. I'm about to beat you up without, not behind this badge, not with a weapon. And at that point, um, Billy pulls out a switchblade and the deputy, Deputy Mason, has a shotgun. And he cocks that shotgun. He's like, Billy, don't do it. And Billy just stops and drops the knife and backs away. Because it's like, this is going to be a fair fight. You want to fight, you got to fight. With the sheriff. (laughs) Andy, you are about to get beat up by the sheriff. Now, honestly, if Cassie had let Professor Caulfield beat him up, we wouldn't have this issue. We wouldn't have this issue because he'd be in intensive care and he wouldn't be a problem. But now he's looking for another fight. He, He has written a check that I promise you his butt can't cash because that sheriff has been holding back against the bigotry, the racism, the disrespect, he was going to let that all come out on Andy, okay? You're going to call him a boy? Are you serious? Are you serious? You about to be in intensive care because the only thing that's going to save you is he's like, I can't kill this white man, but I am going to beat him within an inch of his life because he asked for it. And I know these townspeople ain't going to say nothing because they don't like him neither. I'm going to be all right. But he doesn't end up having to fight. Because Mr. Bonner comes speeding in. He breaks up the mob. He tells them to get home. 
He requests that Andy be arrested for being drunk and disorderly and also disturbing the peace. So the sheriff is more than happy to take Andy into custody. Now inside, the sheriff asks the deputy to empty Andy's pockets, in which they find a car key. And the holder has a crest on it. And so the sheriff is like, this is the Cameron Crest, but that's not your last name. And Andy's like, yeah, it's my mother's maiden name. So they then ask, well, is this your lighter? And he's like, yeah, that's my lighter. Where'd you find it? So Andy says that Ed borrowed his lighter and Jess was like, but he had his own. And Andy's like, no, 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 you're not about to catch me out there. Ed left his lighter on the bar at Kelso's when they ran out. And so Jessica's like, well, tell us what happened after you left Kelso's. So he said that they went to Reesburg to shoot pool and Ed lost about $100. So they returned back to town at about 1245. And Andy and Billy wanted to keep partying. But Ed said, no, that's the end of it. So he dropped them off at the station and he was pissed. He said that he was going to the bank, which Andy said he thought was weird because it was after midnight. So now Jessica has an epiphany. Now, I don't think we see it, but we know it because the next scene, we are at Kelso's and Jessica and the sheriff are there. And the sheriff reveals that it doesn't matter how hard Kelso scrubs the ground or the floor of the bar, forensics can find microscopic evidence of blood. And so the sheriff also says that Ed was shot and the bullet was dug out and that the killer used Ed's car to dispose of the body. And the reason that the bullet had to be dug out is because it was special or unique right? Similar to the gun that you, Kelso, keep in this bar. And the deputy comes running in and he says the forensic guy from Montgomery, Alabama, checked Ed's trunk and found blood stains. So at this point, Kelso gives it up. He says that he should have ran off months ago, to which Jessica says, do you mean in January after your wife ran off? And she said that there were signs of blackmail and that Ed suddenly had money. And he mentioned that he was going to the bank when he dropped his friends off the night that he was murdered. And so Kelso explains that he knew Jolene had been with another man. And he confronted her about it and she laughed at him. So he grabbed a brass bookend and hit her several times, killing her. Now, he did not know that the man that she was sleeping with was actually in the house at the time. And Ed came out of the bedroom and had seen the entire murder. And so it was Ed's idea to bury Jolene in the woods and say she went off to take care of her mother. But he also then went behind Kelso's back and told everybody in town that she ran off with the hardware store employee, right? And at that point started blackmailing Kelso. And he came back, Ed that is, came back to the bank that night that he was murdered. And he wanted a lot of money. And... At this point, Kelso was just so frustrated that he took the gun out, shot him, and he said it was like killing a wild dog. It was nothing like when he killed Jolene because he had remorse for doing that. He had no remorse for killing Ed, and that's why he was like, it was like killing a wild dog. He was no longer human to Kelso at that point. And so at that point, Kelso is placed under arrest. And we end outside the hotel 
and Matt and Linda are packing up to go. Matt has gotten a gig in Nashville and he's taking Linda. Cassie is just distraught about this, but she's happy, but she's sad. And he's like, listen, I'll be back. You know, it's just a gig. It's only in Nashville, Tennessee, which is, you know, Tennessee is next to Alabama. So not a world away, not an ocean away, but that's his mom. And he's been with her this entire time. And so she's a mom. She's, she's sad. But she's happy for him that he is finding success. How? I don't even know. That is really, really the Lord working things out. Because he was terrible, okay? <laughs> that, that was definitely an act of God to get that man anywhere outside of his bathroom, to be absolutely honest. Anyway, so Linda is like, don't worry, my father is not thrilled with this idea either. So I will definitely be back before the holidays, okay? So that makes Cassie feel a bit better. And as Linda is hugging Cassie, she winks at Jessica who winks back. So that's how the episode ends. Now, quickly, some unanswered questions, okay? One is... Cassie and Professor Caulfield gonna stay together? Like, are they gonna make this happen? Um, Because he seemed like he was going to stay at least for a little bit. For a a little bit. Um, So I'm wondering about that. Um, We don't know their backstory, but you know what? I really don't care. Like, I kind of care, but I really don't care about their backstory, their ages, whether he was married, why they didn't end up together, why she had to raise her son by herself and why she had to lie about who his father actually was. I don't know. I don't care. But it's unanswered question. (laughs) And just finally, I think that it is interesting that in an episode that addressed to some degree, like made apparent that there was racial tension in this town and they referred to the town's members as rednecks, right? And that there was a lynch mob. That the sheriff is in fact a black man. And he is not a puppet in the sense that there's not someone else making his decision and he's just the figurehead. He is running his department and it seems like the town's members have a respect for him. Now, there's some that don't. There are some that are on the border. There are others where it's like, I don't have to deal with law enforcement. The town is safe. I'm fine. But I appreciate that they did have, they did, they did acknowledge that there would be racial tension in the deep south where there are redneck town members or town residents and a black sheriff, right? I do also appreciate the fact that the accused murderer and the actual murderer, neither of which were black, because now if the actual murderer was black, I don't know, maybe that, maybe it wouldn't be an issue. But if there was a lynch mob gathering together to capture a black man, there is no way in this world I would have watched this episode. There is absolutely no way in the entirety of this universe I would have watched this episode. So I appreciate the fact that they did not make the accused black. Now, I also appreciate that in the sheriff's character, that he was strong. He was a strong character. He was always respectful. He was always polite, but he was firm because he knew who he was. He was not at the whim of Mr. Bonner, who was a well-loved citizen. He was not at the whim of this lynch mob. He wasn't at the whim of Andy or some actual government official. He wasn't scared of them calling the governor at all. And I really, really like that they made him a strong character because under those circumstances and being able to push through and be successful as a sheriff and then also 
coming to the conclusion that Jessica could be an ally and bringing her in, but not so much that you ceded power to her or ceded your position to her, but she was an of assistance to you, right? That this sheriff was smart, he was confident, and he did his job correctly. And I truly like this character. I love this character. I really do. And the fact that he was about to do a hand-to-hand fight (laughs) with Andy, I honestly, he was like, oh, you think this badge is that I'm a coward and that I'm hiding behind my badge and this gun? What you talking about now? What you talking about now? Andy wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. And he better be thankful that Mr. Bonner came when he did, because it was going to be fight night and Andy was about to be real hurt. So (laughs) anyway, overall, it was a decent episode. It was some controversial issues, but I think that they dealt with it in casting, by casting the black sheriff and casting the accused as a white man and also the victim as a white man, I think that that was the best way that they could have dealt with this episode. It really was. Is it on my DVR? No, because it's triggering regardless of who they are trying to drag out of prison to lynch, you know, it's triggering. But is it a decent episode overall? Yes. Is it well acted? Yes, except for Cassie and that scene where she denies that Professor Caulfield is the father. Again, I don't know if that was the direction they told her to go in or if she was having a bad day. I don't know. Either way, (laughs) the rest of it was fine. So that's that on that. Now, next week, we will be talking about murder at the Electric Cathedral. Can we say televangelist? Televangelist, this has a little bit of everything. Okay, we're in the South again. There is a televangelist. There is money. There's an old lady with a lot, a lot of money to give. There is perhaps scandal, there's scheme. Oh, there's domestic violence, which is not, don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not hyping that up at all. No, that, that was actually uh, really distressing. But other than that, this was an interesting episode that's about to come up next week. Murder at the Electric Cathedral. Okay, so we will get into that next week. All right, y'all get ready. Okay, y'all get your offerings together because we're going to pass the plate after <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> anyway, no, we won't. We won't, but you can go and sign up on Patreon. That That is a way uh, of donation. You can't write that off because I'm not a 501c3. But you know what? I have a lot of great content over there. So you'll definitely get your money's worth. <laughs> the Fletcher Files on Patreon. Okay, the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. Get there. Anyway, I will see you next week for Murder at the Electric Cathedral. So either I'll see you early on Patreon, or I will see you right back here, same time, same amazing host for Murder at the Electric Cathedral at 5 p.m. on Sunday night. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.